Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, media strategist, and health coach helping you live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, and today's conversation is with my dear friend, Allison Dennis. Allison is a yoga teacher, and she also has a background in musical theater. She's a musician. She's played in a number of bands. She's a singer-songwriter, but she's also performed off-Broadway and was a an acrobat, actually, which she talks about in the episode. She talks about her journey to yoga, her wonderful teachers, K. Sridhar, and also Prim Sadashivananda and Edwin Bryant, her love of the yoga sutras. And she gives you more information if you do want to study with her because she teaches all these things. And I took a wonderful class with her in Indian music appreciation and harmonium and basic kirtan. And it was a fabulous introduction if you're new or something to re-inspire you if you've already had a kirtan practice. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. We cover a lot of ground because we have a lot of commonalities and I just adore Allison and I'm so grateful that she decided to join me. So we'll jump right in here to the conversation. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Allison Dennis. Hello. I'm so happy to have you here. It's been, we've been trying to get together and have a conversation. And when I started the podcast, I had you in mind. I was like, I really want to talk to Allison because we have some fun conversations. So I'm really glad you're here. I'm really happy to be here and glad you're doing this. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's been so fun. I know a little bit about your background, but for listeners who are not familiar, would you please talk about, you know, you studied musical theater you performed on the stage, you, you've done acrobatics, all these things. What led you to yoga? It was actually that acrobatic show. I was in a show called De La Gorda in New York City. Oh, it was a gorgeous show. It was an aerial show based in a lot of rock climber techniques. It was a very viscerally emotive experience of a show. And there was a part in the show where it just overuse doing this one piece. I, I hurt my back. I was 24, 25, something like that. I had never been injured in a really debilitating way. I always bounced back. So even though people were telling me this was going to be a long haul injury, I kept saying, oh, it'll be like a week or two. I'm going to be fine. And I wasn't getting fine. And then when the sort of reality of life descended upon me, like, oh my God, you're getting kicked out of your New York City apartment because you don't have your job anymore. And oh my gosh, I guess you're going back to North Carolina. You're going to stay with your grandma. And once it became clear, like, oh, this could be my life now. Like, I don't get to do what it is that I love to do that I want to do, but I'm not going to be Sally Sadpants about it. I'm going to have to figure out a way to like get okay with this because I don't know what the future is. And I'm young and I'm not going to just give up and be sad. And so I just read voraciously. I was looking for something. And at the time, I considered myself an atheist, sort of had a not great experience with the Catholic Church as a kid, and then kind of gave it up at 16 and wasn't interested in spirituality. I just had other interests. But it was because of this injury that it was like, oh, I see why people need a spiritual path. I need something to hold on to. Even though I don't think I could have languaged it that way then, uh, it is what happened. So I read 
Taoist stuff and Tibetan Buddhist stuff. And I read the Bible and I was reading Jewish literature and, and I found Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And then I was like, oh man, this is it. it had like this rich vocabulary and was helping me frame my reference in the context of what you need to do is calm down. And then it just escalated. So it started with Patanjali. I couldn't do the yoga poses at the time. And then I, uh, maybe it was a couple years of physical therapy. And then uh, I was finally cleared to do yoga, the physical postures. And I was living in Woodstock, New York, and there was a Shivananda ashram nearby. So I was just kind of looking at where could I do a yoga teacher training? I think I should, I think I'm supposed to move away from music and do this other path. So I just went to visit the ashram one day randomly, didn't call, just like drove over to see and they had a teacher training starting the next week. And and then I just did it. And then and then life just changed very quickly. The, you know, doors opened up at that point to say, yes, go this way. <laughs> yes, continue to go this way. Oh, that's so that's so fascinating. It's a fascinating thing when doors start to open. I'm curious because this podcast is all about living in your purpose. What does that door opening feeling have to do with that? What does that have to do with like, I, now I feel like I'm situated in my purpose and I'm moving in the way I yeah, need to. Yeah, does that oh, equate? Yeah. Even if they're just small windows that open up, that you get to see some light and go, okay, that is affirmation for me. Living a life in purpose as like a core value, which I think I do try to do that, that wanting to lead a life that's authentically true, how I'm needed in the world, regardless of how I feel about it one way or another. So when those doors open up, it's like confirmation. So I'm curious, just from this early experience of having this back issue and kind of being forced to deal with it, it reminds me a lot of this time during the pandemic. So was totally. that good information for you? Did that help you when we started getting into lockdown and everything? Yeah, 100%. It's interesting that there are, are some parallels with that time in my life and what was going on in transit by way of the astrology, there were some similar things like Rahu Ketu in the same place and switching. And so that that time in life was highly transitional, transformational and isolated, very, very isolated, like grappling with what will this new reality be like? Because I didn't know if I'd be able to walk around. I didn't know that I was going to regain really all my strength is ultimately what happened. So there, there are a lot of parallels with this time, but I do feel like that was something of a training ground for just challenge in general and difficulty in general. Yeah. So on top of that, it's very unusual for somebody to start along the yoga path on the philosophy side, starting with the poses, which is what I did. I did the poses for 10 years before I started investigating the philosophy. I started very young, but I literally just felt better when I did yoga. So can you talk about like how that informs you as a yogi? And because it's the lens of Patanjali, I think there is a, a thread in me around yoga asana or in any direction that I go where it's like, whatever it is I'm studying, whatever practice it is that I'm engaging in, that the ultimate aim is the cultivation of sattva and the diminishment of rajas and tamas. That was brought in right at the beginning of an asana practice for me, as opposed to what a lot of people do, which is a great way in, is like exercise and just I need to move my body and it feels really good. And then eventually there may become 
some interest around the philosophy. But I think because I went about it the other way, that need for sattva or that trying to cultivate more of that, curate more of that is the thread that I try to bring into asana. Certainly my practice these days, I think there were some you know, different phases in my teaching where it maybe wasn't quite so much so about sattva, but certainly landed there now. So I'm, I've never done a yoga teacher training, but I am pretty familiar with the different pieces of what you offer in your in the past when you've done yoga teacher trainings. And I've always been so impressed with the fullness of it, bringing in the philosophy, bringing in the Sanskrit, bringing in harmonium and chanting, you know, and even a little astrology. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like how all these pieces come together for you or, or why you offer your students that breadth of information? I just find that uh, in addition to the asana practice being uh, such an aid in transformation, the variety of philosophies and the bhakti practices and the utilization of your voice, like the just getting your voice up and out and making sound, uh, all of these are different sort of pathways through the variety of pathways of practice and and study, each of these directions have enhanced uh, that sort of central organizing principle. And, and I get really excited about whatever it is that I'm studying or whatever it is that's working for me. So I'm a pretty immediate sort of teacher. Like I teach things in the context of my learning of them. And uh, so because I was interested in this sort of splay of not too many, but probably a good 10 different directions within the Indian wisdom systems, I was gleaning so much from all the directions that I was honing it in and trying to form it into a transformation process for people to engage inside of. Yoga was the lens I was sharing through by way of teaching in studios and then ultimately opening a school. And I think in the opening of a school, that also set some intention, different intention in motion, like, oh, this is a school. Uh, this is, I want to bring together pieces of information that are presented to the best of my ability as uh, relevant to their birthplace of India and to their intended teaching as opposed to putting a lot of Allison on top of it, which we can't help. I know I totally do that, but I try to language when I am doing that and to the best of my ability, try to bring something from the old age up and out so that we can be changed by it. We can be transformed by it. On that note, you and I both love the stories of the myths. You know, oh we gosh. both are students of Dr. Robert Tsubota, who tells beautiful stories and you tell beautiful stories. So does that come out of being an actor? Do you love the story? Or is it just a human thing? Like, what is that for you? I think part of it is probably the acting or that may be why it's easy for me to tell it. I just remember there was this one I was already enamored by the stories and I was at the Shivananda Ashram and uh, what's his name? Radnath Swami was there. And it was just a chance occurrence. I was there to study Patanjali chapter three. He just happened to be there. And he did this storytelling night and I, oh, it makes me want to cry a little bit. Like I felt five years old. I was transfixed by this man and his ability to just hit, pull me in to this whole winding mythological story. And I felt so good afterwards. I felt so cleansed. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's so much power 
inside of story. Like there is so much potential to be healed by way of story. And then I remember it was reading Dr. Svoboda's Greatness of Saturn. And then that clicked it into another place of like, oh my gosh, how do you how do you learn these stories? How do you become a holder of these stories and start to tell them? You know, I had a teacher training that I was already leading. So, and I am a quick teacher. Once I love something, I'm kind of teaching it really quickly. So, I just started to bring the stories into the teacher training and into my teaching of asana classes. I just tell a story at the beginning. And then, you know, there's so many stories inside of Jatish, the stories of the stars. And so, that's become sort of the newest fascination in the past year or so is really studying all the Vedic older deities and elemental deities and and I love to tell the stories, but I love how I'm transformed by trying to understand them. And I love how I'm transformed in the telling of them because you tell them different every time. It's a little bit different. Oh, I just think they're so fun. Something I, I love to do and I love that you do this too is you tell them for this modern audience. You know, you use our language and it makes it funny. You know, it's really, it's fun and, and your heart opens in, in the kind of light play of words around it, you know, and I think Dr. Sabota is where I learned that, that you can actually, you don't have to tell them in this really rote way, their stories, they live, they live in our times, they live in our bodies, you know, so I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I feel like I, I got that from him, that idea of just tell it for these people, like you want the stories to be heard, you don't want them to just be told, you want to give them in such a way that who's hearing them has the possibility of being transformed themselves by it. It does give a lot of artistic liberty. And that's really fun for me. I don't think I felt that kind of permission until reading Greatness of Saturn. I think it was the reading of that book that really helped me. And it may have also been I I did his I did Dr. Svoboda's um, Ramayana. He had like mm. a six hour Ramayana series. And just hearing how he, you know, hearing how he personalizes it and, and makes it his own. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was there live. That was really awesome. <laughs> um, so earlier on, you were talking about how, well, maybe music is not your thing, and you'll just move on to the next thing. But you have never really stopped music. I took your harmonium class, which was delightful and inspiring, just this past winter. How has your relationship to music changed as you've learned about Indian music? This is a major part of your practice, right? Oh, it's a major part. Yeah. I've been a musician my whole life. I mean, that's been the thread and the through line. I grew up next to my grandmother and she had a piano. And so at a very young age, she was encouraging me to just play and express and be creative and sing. And so it just became this place that I went to, to experience myself. And to just feel okay. And then I trained through high school and I got a, you know, degree in music in college and, you know, then moved to New York and was doing musical theater and different singing in bands. And, and then the back injury happened. I was like, well, I better teach myself to play the guitar because. <laughs> Who knows what life is handing me? And so that's when I started songwriting. And it was at that time I was my, my back was hurt and I was doing the singer songwriter circuit and just playing restaurants and bars and clubs and driving all around and, you know, making 50 to 150 bucks here and there. That was when I did the first teacher training. It was that funny thing of like, I, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing exactly what I said I wanted to do, which was play bars and restaurants, but I don't like it. I don't, I don't like what I'm doing. And so yoga became the, well, let's, 
you know, let's just go this way instead. And let's keep doing the music that you love, but just do it for you and just drop it as an exercise of trying to make other people happy, which is what it had turned into. It just lost its juice. It lost its creativity and it became a job like every other job can, can be. But you know, what was cool is from the very beginning, I am so lucky that my first teacher training was at the Shivananda Ashram because I met Prem Sadashivananda. He's just like this joyful, light, amazing, shining human being with a background in history and music. He was a, a session musician in his life before Swamihood. And so he and I really connected and we were playing music all throughout that teacher training. There was a lot of music. Um, and some of it was just like me and my guitar and playing my songs. And some of it was this development of an ear for uh, the Sanskrit language and being really enamored by it and really liking how hard it was. I remember liking like, oh, I don't know what they're saying. And you're looking and you're trying to figure it out. And you know, they're going to do it again in the nighttime and you get ready and you, you know, you have the words. You're like, okay, I'm going to figure this one out. Like there's something really fun about engaging your mind inside of language. And, and that's continues to be a fun practice for me. And a, a main part of my practice is like, how to be a better parrot of the <laughs> of the language, um, how to hear it well, and then how to how to say it. It wasn't until the Indian music influence really came in with Kesridhar. He and I met in 2010. I honestly just had no interest in learning Indian music. I saw how hard he was on his students, and I was like, "Oh, I don't want any of that." I. <laughs> Can we just be friends and take walks and I'll ask you questions about sages and saints and you can tell me stories from Srimad Bhagavatam. And he was like, okay, fine. So, I mean, we did that for like six years, just we're friends. And then I finally became sincerely interested in the music. And, uh, and so he started teaching me at that point. And I, I would say that the main way that his teaching has transformed me is I've learned how to listen differently. And I've learned how to listen more holistically. And I've learned how to listen even if I don't like what it is I'm hearing. And yeah, just listening has changed an awful lot. And now when and now when I'm listening, things I can remember things he would tell me to listen for years ago that I couldn't hear. I'd listen for it, but I didn't I didn't have the sophistication or the sensitivity to actually hear what it was he was guiding me towards. And so it's, I'm at a cool place where I can now start to hear the things that he's been guiding me to listen for. But I'm an American white woman. Uh, children who are born in India and growing up with this music, it's like water. It's like water the way they're able to hear it and create it. So whether I'll ever be an actual manifested creator of what Indian music is about is who knows, uh, maybe, maybe not, but certainly to have my ear developed so that I can hear it is, is a medicine in and, in and of itself, just the listening. You know, you and I both are really blessed with having incredible teachers. So I, I was wondering if you could just talk about that, like the boon of having a wonderful teacher like Sridhar. Yeah, I feel really, really lucky. And I also feel that it is karma. It's just karma. He and I are intended to be part of each other's lives. And I feel grateful to have had an experience of a 
maybe not fully traditional, but a somewhat traditional Guru Shishya relationship. I love him like a father. He's like a father. He's my teacher. He's my guru. He's my mentor. But he, there's a love bond that's very familial uh, between us. And he brings a lot of, uh, like he has a sense of duty in what it is that he offers and what it is he holds back and won't offer. Even when you ask, there's a lot of that that goes on <laughs> with him as well. So I, I feel really blessed and, and really lucky to get to learn from someone 14 generations, temple musicians. You know what I mean? Like it's in the, it's in the, it's in the water. It's so in his DNA, what music is and what sound is and what vibration is. And he has stories of his mother singing for Swami Shivananda when he was two or three years old. He's a, a, a wonderful mentor and a, a holder of a tremendous amount of knowledge. Yeah, I feel really lucky. Yeah, it's such a gift. You know, I feel like I hear from people that they're looking for a teacher, you know, and where do we start? We just start with opening ourselves to learn from whatever's happening around us mm -hmm. and have a sincere desire to meet somebody. And like you said earlier, the door is open. That's what I found in my right. life is like when my sincere desire is there, and I'm focused, I have the the capacity to move forward in that direction, because maybe I've been thinking about it for a while, and it just never mm -hmm. became important enough to focus on. And then the doors kind of open, like you right. said. Yeah, I think it, it was right before Sridhar came into my life, that I was having a guru crisis. Like I was, I had done Shivananda teacher trainings, I'd done the Jiva Mukti teacher training. And I was this in this in between limbo land of like, well, I don't feel devoted to either. I feel like I want to learn from both, but I don't feel like I'm a follower. I don't feel like I'm ready to surrender to one of these paths. And it was actually Mark Whitwell. I don't know if you know him, but it was him. I did a training with him and he was the one that was like, you know, you don't like just pick a person and say, I surrender to you. You have to surrender to something within you have to you have to be the guru and you have to be able to see the guru everywhere and i don't know it was something that probably i had heard before but the way he said it i was able to digest it and then and then i met sridhar like as soon as i wasn't looking for a guru to follow and then lucky for me he was the kind of guru and teacher who when he came into my life uh, he all the time was saying take the teaching leave the teacher Take the teaching, leave the teacher. Do not start following me. Do not get all weird. Don't start touching my feet. Don't do, you know, and, and he's an Indian man and a Brahmin man. So most of his students do all of that stuff, but I wasn't doing it because he was like, don't do all of that. We're just friends. Yeah. It's like when I travel with Robert in India, everybody's trying to touch his feet. He's like, no, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> totally. Um, so you and I both love astrology. Like we talk about it all the time. It's just part of the fabric of reality for both of us. So I just wanted to get you to talk about what you think Vedic astrology in particular allows us to understand about ourselves and how it's helped you too. I just feel like the more I've been able to tease apart the themes inside of my own birth chart, it's the same as going to psychotherapy. This is exact same. <laughs> I feel like I'm teasing apart the understanding of the fundamental building blocks of Allison. And then the more I like tease it apart and I see it and I understand who it is. And then I develop some detachment from it because it's just karma. It's just what it is. 
but I want some intimacy with it. And so I find that Jatish has helped me deepen my intimacy level with what my experience is and, and what the potential that I can step into and the things that I can't, the things that probably just aren't going to work out. It's, it can be helpful to just see that and be able to hold that too. Yeah. It's interesting that you say it's like going to therapy. Cause I had this thought, I think it was yesterday. I was like, it's kind of like 10 therapy sessions to have one <laughs> Vedic astrology session. Cause sometimes my clients leave and they're, they look like they're just like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, thank goodness that you recorded this so that I can watch it again. Cause I'm just totally <laughs> overwhelmed with everything I just learned about myself. You know, there's a digestion process, <laughs> right? One of the benefits of actually doing this as work is you're always kind of looking at your chart. You're thinking about things, you have mm-hmm. insights. And so you're, you're not as shocked anymore. It's <laughs> true. It's true. Did you know that this podcast has been made possible by listener support? If you like what you're hearing and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash weave your bliss. There are lots of great gifts, including a weekly astrology update from me and a monthly live new moon circle. Thanks for your support. I've seen on your newsletter list, for example, and on Instagram, you've shared some things about social justice and why it's important to you. So I just wanted to ask you, why is it important to you? Uh, I am a giant fan of Dave Chappelle. And he has started a new podcast with um, Yazin Bey and Talib Kweli. And they did a whole episode on help people who don't want to be helped. Like, what can you do for somebody who doesn't they don't want to be lifted up out of the mire. And a lot of their conversation is in the context of what Dave calls his kindness conspiracy. The emphasis isn't so much on like, who's right or who's wrong, or what's the right thing or what's the wrong thing. The emphasis is on the choices that we make in, in terms of being honest and being kind. And, and how can we sneak that in, in, um, in ways. I mean, you know, social justice is in, in being a, a, a social person. It's like being part of something. It's like cooperating. And, and I find that my, just my way, maybe because of my practices or maybe because of music, like so much emphasis for me is on listening as a practitioner, as a student. Also, the emphasis is on listening. And even as a teacher, a lot of the emphasis is on how well can I hear what it is that's coming in and then digest it and try to offer something that would be an aid or a balm in some way. So I feel like it's a really lovely moment in time that we're all in, even though it's kind of messy. It's really lovely in that there's a lot of potential for growth and transformation and uh, I feel like the best way I can engage in it all is to listen and encourage other people to be listening and, and really hearing and then moving from that place, moving from a place of being a, a vehicle of growth and transformation. Yeah. I saw somebody posted today and a South Asian woman posted a reel or maybe it was a few days ago, but somebody shared it that I saw you know, talking about ahimsa, you know, she's a yoga teacher, she's talking about ahimsa. 
and this movement for Black lives being a part of that and ending police brutality being a part of that. And she was putting all of those pieces together. I'm interested in seeing how this conversation evolves. I definitely want to be a part of the solution and I want to help realign us to what feels like our collective purpose, which is to help everyone live decent lives and have space for their own spiritual practice and not be afraid every single day or not feel when they call the police, they're going to get shot, you know, like, or when they get stopped at traffic, like, I want everybody to feel like they can be safe in their neighborhoods, and they can go along with their lives, and they don't have these underlying fears, you know. And I think you do a beautiful job of just being vulnerable and sharing letting people in on your process, you know, like we're all trying to become better. Ultimately, whether we know it or not, (laughs) all of us, (laughs) I'm hopeful as well. I'm I'm an optimist. I just want to continue learning and listening and move towards a better future. I have some rapid fire questions for you if you're down. Um, So what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? Uh, this was my acting teacher, actually, is the first thing I'm thinking of. My acting teacher, um, I was nervous for some audition or something. And he said, he said something to the extent of, Allison, you have to remember, everybody actually wants you to do your best. They all want to see you shine. And I, I think of that from time to time as like nervous comes up or, or some kind of like just fear when fear to be authentic lifts up. I think of that, like everybody wants you to do your best. Everybody wants you to shine and just be who you are. That's beautiful. (laughs) I'm going to take that from this conversation. It's a good one. one. Um, So when you feel anxious, confused or frustrated, what is the first thing you do to ground yourself? There's a a few. It depends on the context of the anger, frustration, confusion. So if it's like overwhelm, like actual sensorial overwhelm, I'm going to go into tortoise pose and I'm going to be there for at least 10 minutes. If it's like really mental and like thinking and overthinking and I would go into tortoise pose and just keep thinking, that's when I go to music and I do scales. I go straight to like, these days I'll pull some obscure scale that I don't know well so that I have to really think and and I'll work on the scale until I can do it all the way up and all the way down. That could take 10 minutes or 30 minutes. But in the doing of that for 10 or 30 minutes, whatever it was I was frustrated about, I don't, I don't somatically feel that anymore. And then I'd say the, the other one I would do is if I ha, if I am in the vicinity of a bathtub, <laughs> I will be taking a bath. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so what is your favorite hot beverage? Oh, um, hibiscus tea. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first time I've gotten that answer. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what would your last meal on earth be? I am going to say pizza. Awesome. The best pizza, like thin Italian crust and just like it would be pizza. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have on your pizza? Oh, I just like um, mozzarella, like fresh mozzarella, a little basil, maybe some herbs. Just really, really simple. Oh, yum. So can you tell us about your morning routine and what, if anything, is non-negotiable? Yes, I I have um, really only one non-negotiable in terms of my morning routine. I have to do my mantra. Like I have to do my, my morning mantra practice. So that happens no matter what. But my routine is I uh, light the lamp. 
I have a little, you know, I'm sort of nomadic at the moment, so I, I don't have my, my normal altar. I have a little travel altar that I land with, and I uh, have a little small Ganesh and a very small Sarasvati and a, a small Durga, and I say hello and good morning to each of them with some mantra and some chanting. I think I already said I light the lamp. I, I travel with a little lamp, so usually I can do that every day, but sometimes that part is harder. I do my mantra and I do a little breathing and a little meditation. And the rest, then I kind of get up and I start the day and I get into some work after, I mean, my practice probably takes a 30 minute, it's probably a 30 minute in the morning practice. And my asana practice usually happens more in the afternoon. And then sometime in the afternoon or in the evening will be my chanting practice. And then I do an awful lot of study. It's just a main thread of, of life is a lot of, a lot of preparing and studying. I think it does become that way. You know, like you have these routines, I feel for myself, I have these routines that I do every day and they have purpose for kind of starting my day appropriately. But then it's that extends outward to where you're like doing the dishes and you're like doing your mantra. You know, it's like, no, it feels that way. It feels like, uh, you know, there's just a cadence to uh, the way I've organized my life that has spirituality and meaning as the as the core purpose. So today I'm teaching Patanjali. So what I tend to do is when I'm teaching something one day, it's the day before that I focus all on that subject. So yesterday was a big Patanjali day. I was reading Patanjali. I chanted the sutras, chanted them twice and, and just kind of stayed with, you know, stayed with that theme. And then it's like the day before the bhakti class, it'll be so much chanting and just kind of like building up that bhav of love in the heart so that the next day when I'm actually teaching it, I'm all full of the juice of the thing from the practice the day before. So I'd love teaching so much because of that, because it is uh, whatever it is I'm getting ready to share becomes my practice. Mm. It becomes a, a more deeply infused aspect of my day-to-day -day life for however long that, that class or that course is going to be going on. I think I was telling you before we started how much I'm enjoying the prep for the, the classes this, this season has been particularly enjoyable. So tell us about a person who inspires you and why. I just thought of a slew of people all at once, but I'm, I'm going to mention my grandmother and she's not around anymore, but it was sweet to think of her earlier on when I was telling the story of finding music. She was such a foundational inspiration around leading a creative, authentic life full of earthy, practical wisdom around how much happiness can come from just singing your song whatever that is, and not worrying so much if it's, if it's perfect, but just to, just to sing it. She was highly influential. Mm. So what's something that people might not know about you? I'm a huge South Park fan. <laughs> so is my husband. Really? <laughs> yeah. <K> just <laughs> make me, I laugh out loud every time. And I'm always like, it's so crass and so terrible and so smart. It's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. What are you reading right now? Um, I, what am I reading right now? All that. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading all of this. She's got a well, bunch of books behind her for those who are I'm, listening and not watching. <laughs> I'm, 
I am reading, well, obviously I'm reading Patanjali's Yoga Sutras right now. I'm reading um, Srimad Bhagavatam right, right now. I'm reading The Body Keeps the Score. is a great book on just to help us contextualize the way we hold trauma in the body. I'm reading a fantastic book. Um, you know, I sort of read book as, books as reference material. And so I'm just, there's a rotation of five or 10 that are in heavy, heavy motion right now. There's a book called The Myths and Gods of India by Alan Danilu, French mm. author. Oh my gosh, this book is fantastic. So every day I'll be reading from from that. So something that you are grateful for or that brings you joy in this moment? I'm so grateful for sunshine. Just so grateful for sunshine. Beautiful. <laughs> so how can people connect with you online or are there any programs coming up that you want them to know about? My personal website is alisondennis.com. Uh, and then if you go to that site, they're pretty up at the top, you'll see something about Heart of Yoga School, and that'll take you to the Heart of Yoga School teachable site that has a slew of classes that you could, that have already happened that, you know, you could register for and watch in your own time. In the summer, the summer session will start end of July, and will there'll be a course, a bhakti course on Vedic deities, sort of specific to nakshatra deities. But talking about the whole Vedic canon of, of mythology. And we'll be beginning chapter two of Patanjali Sutras in the, in the summer. So if somebody were really inspired and industrious and they wanted to do chapter one before we begin in chapter two, then, then you could sign up for that. I'm sure there'll be some other offerings that are coming up. Sridhar is probably going to do periodic satsangs and Edwin Bryant has a series of satsangs on Patanjali Sutras that will be coming up over the next year. Yeah, there's lots, lots over there, lots going on on the Teachable site. And then I do um, private sessions too. Usually it's uh, either Jatish or it's uh, music related uh, private sessions. So people who want to just deepen into Indian music or scales or just chanting in general and having a chanting practice. And the class that I took is called Ocean of Sound. Is that something that people can still sign up for? Yeah. Yeah. Right now, enrollment is open for this month for the remainder of April. And I'm thinking well, I'll just roll it open every season. So at some point in the summer, I'll open it up again for a week or two. Okay, good. Well, yeah. is there anything else you want to share before we jump off? No, I'm just so happy to chat with you. Well, thank you for your time. You're and welcome. It's been a fun conversation. It has been. It's good to good to chat with you, Paula. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula-Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode. Mm-hmm.